Welcome to the AVA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future. Welcome to the ABA Journal's Legal Rebels Trailblazers podcast. I'm Angela Morris, your host today. Today, I'm talking to Colin Rule. He's an expert in online dispute resolution. He's been doing ODR since 1999. Right now, he's the vice president of ODR at Tyler Technologies. Uh, That's a company that runs e-filing and case management systems for courts. Hi, Colin. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Angela. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk with you today. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you, too. There's a lot of exciting stuff going on in the world of online dispute resolution, or ODR, as we like to call it. Yeah. Before we get started, we want to thank our sponsor, Answer One, for its support of this show. Their virtual reception service is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to handle inbound calls, schedule appointments, and even respond to emails. Check them out at answerone.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. I want to start off with a confession. I don't think I've personally used ODR before, unless you count the Better Business Bureau, which I've I've done. Sure. Okay. Well, um, let's just say some listeners out there are like me, and they might not have done a lot of ODR. How does ODR work? Well, it's a great question. You know, people often think that online dispute resolution is some kind of futuristic thing that they they don't have a lot of experience with. I, I often talk to mediators and professional dispute resolvers, and I say, well, how many of you have done ODR? And uh, almost nobody raises their hands. But then I say, well, how many of you have sent emails to your parties? Or how many of you have done teleconferences with your parties or maybe used Skype or sent them text messages or sent them uh, Word documents with track changes? And everybody sort of looks around and say, yeah, we've done all of those things. And I say, well, guess what? That's all online dispute resolution. Online dispute resolution is the use of information and communications technologies to help parties resolve their disputes. And people often think of it as some whiz-bang, George Jetson futuristic thing, you know, where robots are wearing the judge wigs and banging the gavel. (laughs) And yeah, there could be uh, in the future some application like that. But really right now, a lot of the things that we do every day that we don't think of as very futuristic or sexy still use information and communications technologies. So I worked at eBay and PayPal, and and we resolved a lot of buyer-seller disputes. So if you've ever had a customer service issue on Amazon or eBay, you've used it. But now what's happening is online dispute resolution is coming into the courts, and it's becoming more common in face-to-face disputes. So if you haven't had an experience with ODR yet, you probably will soon. Yeah, I'm sure that answer probably blew some people's minds because, of course, we've all done those things. Also, I'm glad that you mentioned your stint at eBay because I wanted to ask you about that. I was like cyber stalking you a little bit uh, and preparing for this <laughs> podcast. And so I was seeing like you have been in ODR for a long time, like way back in 1999, you started this company online resolution. And then, like you said, in 2003, you were doing this at eBay and PayPal. And then in 2011, you started Modria. 
So all of this just made me curious to know, like, what is it about ODR that drew you in and has kept you for like more than 20 years or nearly 20 years, I guess? What is it? Wow. Well, I'm honored. You're my first cyber stalker, Angela. So thank you for <laughs> that. Um, I'm not too proud to say I'm happy to cross this milestone. Um, well, you know, the interesting thing is I am a nerd. I've loved technology my whole life. And even when I was 10, 11 years old, I ran a dial-up bulletin board on my Apple II Plus computer uh, in my bedroom. So I've always loved technology. But then when I was in college, I got very passionate about dispute resolution. So that was the late 80s. And I didn't really see any overlap between the two things. But when the Internet started to expand in the mid-90s, people started to ask, well, how are we going to resolve disputes on the Internet? And I thought, aha, this is where I want to live, is where technology and dispute resolution cross paths. So I was working as general manager of a website called Mediate.com. And I said, look, I think we should start to think about online dispute resolution. So they let me spin off a company called Online Resolution, and I've been involved with it ever since. And the only reason I got a job at eBay was because I wrote a book on online dispute resolution called Online Dispute Resolution for Business. And eBay found the book and said, hey, we need you. We have a lot of disputes. So they brought me out here to Silicon Valley, where I've been ever since. Excellent. Okay, so earlier, you already mentioned the fact that Modria has turned to serving the courts. And really, that's, I want to talk with you all about this for the, the rest of this podcast. So you founded Modria in 2011, but just last year, just last summer, Tyler Technologies bought it. They're still running it as Modria and you're still in charge of it. But I do understand that they did kind of like change the course of Modria in terms of like what types of clients was it serving? Can you tell me kind of the clientele of Modria before and just how that has changed since Tyler bought you out? Sure, that's a great question. You know, I think coming out of eBay and PayPal, when we started Modria in 2011, we were very focused on the e-commerce world. And we were thinking we would provide services much like we did with the resolution center that I built at eBay. You know, we were doing 60 million disputes a year on eBay alone between buyers and sellers all over the world. So we thought, well, let's go sell to Amazon and buy.com, but also all these collaborative economy companies. There are a lot of disputes at Airbnb. There's a lot of disputes at Uber. There's just lots of disputes on the internet, and they weren't being well addressed, we felt, by the courts because they're low value, they cross borders, the jurisdictions are very confused. So that was really where Modria's focus was. But we started to get pulled in because our software was relevant in, in other contexts, too. So uh, we worked with the American Arbitration Association to do insurance disputes. It turned out a great application for our software was property tax assessment appeals. So we did a lot of um, online ODR systems for resolving property tax disputes. But the courts started to get very interested in ODR because uh, they needed to modernize their services. And we started to do some projects with courts internationally, not really in the U.S. But Tyler Technologies is really the Microsoft of court tech. I think 40% of U.S. citizens live in a county where Tyler provides the software that manages some aspect of the courts. And Tyler actually is much bigger than that. They provide services for lots of local government, everything from schools to water boards to everything. But the Courts and Justice Division was very interested in ODR, and uh, it started to be clear that this was a great place for us to move Modria and accelerate our work. So just to be clear, I've learned so much from Tyler. I mean, they have such access to chief justices and bar association presidents and court administrators. 
So uh, they have t- I've learned an enormous amount in the last year. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's overly charitable to say I'm still running things because so many of my collaborators and partners at Tyler really have helped us accelerate this and really strap a jet engine on what we were doing with Modria. But now we are applying ODR in the court context and making sure that we can provide fast and fair resolutions to as many citizens as possible through that channel. Wow. What are the types of court cases that are best for ODR? Well, I think I'm a non-lawyer mediator, an NLM as they call us, so I don't have a law degree. And in the mediation context, I think most of I and my colleagues are comfortable focusing on relatively low dollar value civil cases. You know, that's where um, most mediators, I think, find their bread and butter. We do a lot of family cases. We do a lot of small claims cases. We do a lot of workplace cases. So that's kind of where my instinct is. And I think that's also where we're going first at Tyler. Now, uh, it's interesting because I'm having conversation with judges about traffic cases and parking tickets and speeding tickets, which is something that, you know, you don't normally mediate. But ODR can be evolved to work in that context. Now I'm learning about other caseloads I'd never even thought about, like probate. That's just not something I had a lot of awareness of, but I think there's some utility there. And I've even had some conversation with judges about potentially moving into the criminal space because most criminal cases actually turn into negotiations at some point where defense and the prosecution are sort of negotiating what do we think a fair outcome would be in this case. So there are ways that ODR could fit there too. So I'm really focused now at Tyler on these low dollar value civil cases, but I think there's potential for ODR in some of these other case volumes as well. Wow. Okay. Roughly, you don't have to tell me exactly. I just kind of want to estimate or arrange roughly how many courts are currently using Motria and like how many cases has it helped to resolve or it's working with? Yeah. As you mentioned, we just got acquired a year ago. So we've done a lot of work integrating the Tyler software with the Modria software. So we've launched live in a couple courts. I think, you know, we're live in uh, Clark County in Las Vegas. We're live in uh, Travis County, which is Austin, Texas. That's where I live. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. So Travis, I just did a training yesterday for the Dispute Resolution Center in Travis because their their mediators are going to be resolving cases through our software soon. So that's really exciting. Uh, you know, uh, we also announced that we're going to be coming live in Ohio with the Ohio Court of Claims. There are a couple other announcements we've made about counties that we're coming live and we're negotiating and putting our path together for the next year or two. And I think you're going to see, you know, dozens of cases come live over that time period. I will say there's other companies that are targeting this space as well, and they're launching ODR initiatives and some courts are building their own systems. So the National Center for State Courts recently put out a document that is a case study, you know, of all the different ODR projects going on around the U.S. So I think there's probably somewhere between 30 and 50 courts doing online dispute resolution in the U.S. right now. And I would expect that number to double over the next year. Oh, wow. And hopefully Modri is going to be leading the charge. Yeah, wow. It's just a great time to talk with you with so much on the horizon. I want to ask you some more questions about this. But before we go on, we're going to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. Is your firm experiencing missed calls, empty voicemail boxes, and potential clients you'll never hear from again? Enter AnswerOne Virtual Receptionist. They're more than just an answering service. AnswerOne's available 24-7. They can even schedule appointments, respond to emails, integrate with Clio, and much more. AnswerOne helps make sure your clients have the experience they deserve. 
Give them a call at 800-ANSWER-1 or visit them at answerone.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. All right, we're back. I'm Angela Morris, and this is the ABA Journal's Legal Rebels Trailblazers podcast. I'm talking with Colin Rule about Modria. That's an online dispute resolution system for the courts. One of the biggest questions I wanted to ask you was about access to justice. Now, I'm sure that you know our country has a huge problem with low-income people and even middle-income people really uh, being able to access the courts and afford lawyers and, and all of that. So the question I have for you is, how does Modria fit in? How do you think that it might help our access to justice problem? Sure. Well, you're absolutely right. We have a crisis in access to justice in the country. And I am friends with many lawyers, many mediators who work in small claims court. And it's funny, those people that spend the most time working in that system are in many respects the most reluctant to engage with it because they know about all the frustrations that the system can engender. You know, I think the legal system, unfortunately, is considered too slow, too painful, too costly by many citizens in the country, and they're very, very reluctant to make use of it. Also, the way the system currently works, it's still very dependent on in-person, you know, coming down to a court. If you have a hearing scheduled on a certain day, it's probably going to be during work hours during the weekday, you know, during the work week. And a lot of people just say, well, forget it, you know, and there have been studies that show an, an enormous number of people in the U.S. just instead of pursuing their cases, they just perceive it's going to be too complex or, or just not worth it. So they just give up, you know, they, they quote unquote lump it. But then there's also low income people who just can't afford representation. So we have a crisis of pro se litigants, people who are trying to represent themselves and the courts are just not built for those folks and they get really bad outcomes in terms of if you look at the overall spectrum of outcomes, self-represented pro se folks really don't get very good outcomes. And they cause a lot of chaos within the courts because, you know, they're going in and asking, what do I need to file? What should I do? And I think a lot of the employees in the courts are reluctant to provide legal advice because that's not really their job. They could get in trouble for it. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, even lawyers are bound by rules. If you're a, an attorney in Oregon, and uh, somebody in California asks you for some legal advice, you have to be very careful there because that's a violation of your ethical obligations to provide legal counsel in another state. And, you know, that, again, those rules largely intended to ensure that California lawyers get the California cases. It, it creates additional barriers in terms of getting access to qualified advice. So there's just a lot of things. And I know the ABA has been talking for years about this, you know, uh, and I think Judy Martinez, the new um, ABA, incoming ABA president, this is one of her areas of expertise. And we've talked about this as well. So what is what promise does ODR bring? Well, you know, the beauty of the systems that we're building is it can enable people to essentially file their case online 24 seven. And they can use things called access to justice portals where they can come in and educate themselves about sort of what opportunities are available to them. If they engage with an ODR process, they can negotiate. First of all, they can go through a structured workflow appropriate to their dispute type that can help to clarify issues and find a streamlined path to resolution, a mutually agreed upon resolution. And they can negotiate directly with the other side. They can even work with a mediator online. And they can do that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because uh, the communication is asynchronous through these 
online resolution processes. So really what it does is it kind of turns every cell phone into a point of access to justice. Wow. And it can really reduce the times to resolution in a, in a meaningful way. You know, we've seen dispute resolution programs in the courts resolve 60, 70, 80 percent of cases. And we think that ODR, based on the cases we've already processed, can achieve similar resolution rates. So it's a it's an exciting opportunity for us to really open the doors to enable people to get access to fast and fair resolution processes through mobile devices in a way that fits into their lifestyles, which means they'll be more likely to utilize them. It'll keep costs down and it'll make um, the path to resolution take less time. Yeah. Well, that all sounds great, but in my head, I can actually kind of imagine or I'm wonder I wonder if there might be like one group of people that might not be like super excited about ODR, which is some lawyers might feel threatened by it, like saying, oh, it's going to take my clients, it's going to take my cases. Or other lawyers might say something along the lines of, well, it's not right. You're encouraging people to go to court without a lawyer and they're going to, you know, harm their legal rights. I have two questions about this. The first question, have you heard feedback from lawyers that's negative? And if so, like what types of stuff do they say? Well, that's a great question. I think there is a lot of fear amongst lawyers. You know, if you look at what technology has done in other industries like medicine or finance or entertainment, it's just completely transformed those industries. You know, the job of an, an investment banker today is totally different than the job of an investment banker was 30 years ago. But that field has not gone away. You know, medicine and banking and entertainment, if anything, they've gotten bigger. And I think that that's probably what's going to happen in the law as well. I think, you know, if you're used to practicing a certain way and you understand the pluses and minuses and you understand the procedural protections in the way that operates, when technology comes in and it changes the expectation of your customers, you know, it can feel like, whoa, 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 we need to fight this. We need to slow this down because it's going to disrupt the system that we've built. But I think what's important uh, to learn from these other industries is we have to innovate into these changes. And we have to provide resolution systems that meet our clients, really the disputants, where they are. And the systems that we built that worked great 20, 30 years ago, unfortunately, just won't work anymore because the expectations of citizens are being changed by, you know, their workday life and, you know, their use of Gmail and Facebook and iPhones and all those things. So, so I think it's natural to feel trepidation when confronted with this disruption. But what I can say as somebody who's lived in this world is that there's enormous opportunity here. And let me be clear, what we're doing at Tyler, we're not replacing the courts in terms of all of the evaluative processes where uh, two sides make their case and a decision is rendered. That still is judges in courts. We're just building an online environment where the parties can communicate with each other to try and come up with a mutually agreed upon solution in advance of that hearing. And all of these cases also that we're working on are filed into the courts. So they have to be e-filed into the courts before they come to our process. So a lot of the procedural protections and transparency, is, it still exists. And we need lawyers. We need case managers. We need mediators. We need court employees. We're not trying to use technology to just automate the entire process. And I think that's another fear that I've heard a lot from lawyers. So there's going to be a lot of opportunity, particularly if we can encourage people to come back to these processes by convincing them 
they're not so onerous, they're not so time consuming. You can come in and you can get a fast and fair resolution using these tools. I think it'll increase the relevance of the courts and it'll increase the relevance of of legal redress. But I, I think we all need to work together in the field of dispute resolution and the law to move into these changes, to embrace them, minimize the negatives and accentuate the positives. Yeah. That is such a great segue to the the last question that I wanted to ask you today. You touched on this a little bit before we took a break as well. I could almost see like your vision for the future regarding the courts using ODR. Let's just say like it's some type of a perfect future world now and everything's gone kind of just exactly how you hoped it would go. Like, what is your vision for the future regarding ODR in the courts? Well, that's a great question. You know, I believe that in uh, a couple of years, and sometimes in Silicon Valley, we overestimate how quickly these changes happen. Uh, the obstacles are not technological. The obstacles are mostly institutional. But I'm thinking between five and seven years from now, I bet more than 50% of U.S. citizens, when they file their case into the courts, they will get access to an online dispute resolution-like solution that, kind of like TurboTax, will walk them through an appropriate resolution process, ask them questions relevant to their particular case type, share information with them that's very helpful about resolutions that have been achieved in similar kinds of cases, and I believe we're going to be able to resolve 70, 80 percent of those cases in a very efficient, timely way. And that's going to better meet the needs of citizens and significantly expand access to justice. That's my my hope as to where we are. And sometimes, you know, I've been talking about online dispute resolution for, for a long time, and it sounded really futuristic and, you know, really pie in the sky. But now I sort of feel like the dog that caught the car. And I feel like I'm talking with chief justices and they get it. They absolutely get it. So I think online dispute resolution really is the future of civil justice, not only in the U.S., but around the world. And I think it's going to it's going to help us provide it live up to the mission that we have within the dispute resolution field and within the legal field to help people find fair solutions to their issues. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Colin, thank you so much for taking the time to to talk with me. Thank you, Angela. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Angela Morris, and you've been listening to the ABA Journal's Legal Rebels Trailblazers podcast. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.